keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And good morning to you. This is you're listening to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Wednesday, May 24, 2023. The Feast of Our Lady, Help of Christians, Auxilium Christonorum. The Battle of Lepanto, a significant naval battle in history, held the fate of Europe in the balance. Protestantism had caused division in Christendom and religious wars were raging. The Catholic forces comprising of Spain, Venice, and Genoa, along with a small papal fleet, faced a formidable Turkish fleet. During the battle, while Catholic forces were on the verge of defeat, Muslim sources revealed an astonishing occurrence. The Turkish fleet witnessed a magnificent, majestic lady in the sky, emanating a menacing gaze that struck fear into their hearts. Overwhelmed by her presence, the Turks lost their courage and fled. Two men played pivotal roles in the monumentous event. Don Juan of Austria, commander of the Catholic Armada, and St. Pius V, the Pope at the time, both turned to Our Lady, help of Christians, in prayer. They placed their trust in her intercession and hoped for a miracle. Though the Catholic soldiers were unaware of her intervention, the Turks later reported the appearance of the Lady in the sky. It became evident that Our Lady had intervened, turning the tide of the battle in favor of the Catholics. What made the knights and soldiers of Lepanto true heroes was their unwavering faith. Despite facing seemingly insurmountable odds, they believed in Our Lady's power to secure victory. Their trust in her was not a blind resignation, but a resolute act of fidelity to a grace-inspired voice within them. This act of unwavering faith holds a profound lesson for us today in the face of adversity. Let us emulate the heroes of Lepanto rather than succumbing to despair. Let us trust in Our Lady's promises and affirm with confidence that she will triumph. May we discern the voice of Our Lady, finding strength in challenging circumstances and embracing the hope of victory. Let us remember that Our Lady, help of Christians, will lead us to triumph and restore Catholic civilization. Auxiliarum Christianorum, pray for us. Happy Wednesday to you. Praise be to God. I hope you are having a blessed Wednesday, especially during the Easter season. And actually, we're leading to Pentecost. Probably the number two feast day of the year, Pentecost. The number one would be Easter. Number two, I think, would be Pentecost, actually. So let me know. And today we can we can shout out, because we are still within the octave of the ascension, Alleluia, the Lord Christ hath ascended up into heaven. Oh, come, let us worship him. Alleluia. Praise be to God. It's such a good day. But good morning to you, Tito Edwards, our producer. Good morning, Adrian. Yes, it is such a good day. Pentecost is coming up. I'm wondering, uh, what are you going to wear red on Sunday if you're going to wear anything at all? I can't think of anything myself besides a red tie. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think only, I don't have any red shirts. Same here. I don't have red pants. I don't have a red blazer. I think it'd just just be a red tie. blazer. Yeah, if if someone had a red blazer, I mean, I'd be down for that. Uh, But... I don't own any of those things. Maybe a red uh, tie with maybe a red uh, handkerchief or something. I don't know. Something like that. Red handkerchief. 
Something like that. We have to do something for Pentecost. I'm excited. I should have planned like a major party or something. But um, but pray for us because yesterday I was heading to bed and our AC went out. And so I was laying in bed and it's like 81 degrees in my room. And I'm like, oh, this is miserable. And so I got to bed pretty late last night. Went to bed around 11 o'clock, somewhere around there. Because I was just tossing and turning. I uh, got a fan from my garage and set it up, blowing in my face. And it was much better once the, the fan is blowing. But, whoo, man, I could use some air conditioning. So it was nice coming into the office. And there was a nice, cold air conditioning blowing in the, in the room. But uh, coming up in the show today, at 15 past the hour, Cardinal Supich is opposed by a Chicago politician very, very interesting situation. We're going to talk about that story. And good news out of Tennessee. What's going on? I've had two good news stories this week. What's up with that? We're nice. going to have to, uh, we have to fix that with some bad news later on. At 30 past the hour, speaking of bad news, Brent Haynes will be on with us to talk about crime among teens and young people. Very, very interesting situation going on in the United States. And in the next hour, the question is, should we withdraw from the world? We're going to be answering that question at the, in the next hour. Plus, at 15 past the next hour, we have the Fear and Trembling Game Show with a prize from Catholic Answers Press. And I want to give a shout-out to Chastity, who is uh, Kim Sunderman's uh, daughter, who's making her confirmation at 7.30 p.m. today. So shout out to Chastity Sunderman and congratulations on making your confirmation. Absolutely. Absolutely. That definitely deserves some applause. But let's begin in prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions. Anything and everything that you have going on in your life today, we're going to be praying for those intentions. Whatever it is, whatever struggles, whatever difficulties, whatever tasks you have to accomplish, we are going to be praying for those intentions. And of course, as always, we pray for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for. And in a special way, we want to pray for Tito's family and for Tito's mother. Thank you. And we'll pray the Subtuum Presidium, the prayer written in the third century, dedicated to the Blessed Virgin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Subtum presidium confugimus sancta dei genitrix, nostra deprecationis ne despicias in necitatibus, sera periculis cuntis, libra no semper vergo gloriosa et benedicta. We fly to thy protection, O holy mother of God. Despise not our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed virgin. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Thank you, Adrian. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Wednesday, May 24th, Anno Domini 2023, and these are your headlines. Catholic News Agency is reporting a professor at Hunter College in New York City who vandalized a pro-life display on May 2nd that was sponsored by Students for Life of America has been fired. The new development comes the same day that the New York Post reported that the same professor, Sheldon Rodriguez, ch chased one of the outlet's reporters with a machete after he tried to ask her questions outside of her Bronx apartment. In a statement to CNA Tuesday, Vince Dimicelli, a spokesperson for the college, said Hunter College strongly condemns the unacceptable actions of Shalene Rodriguez and has taken immediate action. 
LifeSite News is reporting the notably heterodox Bishop Johann Bonny has doubled down on his claim that Pope Francis approves of Belgium's bishops same-sex blessings, echoing previous comments he, he has made in recent months. In a recent interview published on Catholic.de, the official website of the German bishops, Bonnie answered questions regarding his support for same-sex blessings. LiveSite News is reporting the designer for Target's pro-LGBT pride collection promotes Satanism, violence against transphobes. Satan respects pronouns is a fun way to show your pride, the designer said on her website, Major box store Target is drawing renewed backlash after recent reports indicated that one of the designers who created merchandise for the corporation's controversial Pride Month celebration is a transgender identifying women. And finally, LiveSite News is reporting DeSantis to announce presidential run in, two, in Wednesday. Twitter interview with Elon Musk. Elon Musk said the conservative governor would take part in the unscripted question and answer session during which he will have quite an announcement to make. These are your headlines. This morning, God bless you all. The gospel of the day comes from John chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. I am remaining in the world no longer, but they remain in the world while I am on the way to thee. Holy Father, keep them true to thy name, thy gift to me, that they may be one as we are one. As long as I am with them, it was for me to keep them true to thy name, thy gift to me. And I watched over them so that only one has been lost, he whom perdition claims for its own in fulfillment of the scriptures. But now I am coming to thee, and while I am still in the world, I am telling them this, so that my joy may be theirs and reach its full measure in them. I have given them thy message, and the world has nothing but hatred for them, because they do not belong to the world as I, too, do not belong to the world. I am not asking that they shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them clear of what is evil. They do not belong to the world, as I, too, do not belong to the world. Keep them holy, then, through the truth. It is thy word that is truth. Thou hast sent me into the world on thy errand, and I have sent them into the world on my errand. And I dedicate myself for their sakes, that they too may be dedicated through the truth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One thing before I jump into Cornelius Lapide is this line he repeats here twice. They do not belong to the world as I too do not belong to the world. The question that immediately comes to my mind is, do I belong to the world? What do I set my heart on? Do I set my heart on worldly things? Do I care more about the riches of the world or the riches of heaven? I just, that's the first thing that came to mind when I was reading that passage. But to Cornelius Alapide, verse 15 here, he says, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from the evil. Now, what evil is this? From the evil, one, first of guilt, which alone is real evil. Two, of punishment, to preserve them from every adversity or strengthen them to bear it. And three, from the evil one, his snares and temptations. Now, in verse 17, the word is truth. It is not Moses or philosophers, but thy word, which teaches the evangelical truth. The holiness of Moses and the Jews were merely ceremonial and shadowy. 
that of philosophers was either pretended or else merely moral and natural. That of Christ was supernatural, heavenly, and divine. Others understand by the word sanctify them truly, that is, completely and perfectly, as the apostle says, and true holiness, for perfect and great holiness is required in an apostle. For continuous preaching, for resisting tyrants, for laboring night and day, for suffering martyrdom and death, it can be explained thus. Sanctify them in me, who am the way, the truth, and the life. Make them partakers of my goodness and holiness. Now, this is very interesting to me because he points out the two different dichotomies. You have the Jews and you have the philosophers. And both of them received quite a great gift. The Jews received the ceremonial law, which they kept. They received the symbols and the shadows of the coming covenant. The philosophers, by their wisdom, by their genius, we think of the philosophers Plato, Aristotle, and many of the others, who could able to discern by their natural reason the moral law. And yet our Lord came and he brought to us the sacraments, he brought to us the supernatural life that can, that's the only way of salvation. And he brings that to us freely that anyone may be able to achieve heaven by attaining to his word, by attending to his word rather. Now, morally here, he says, Lord, learn how, learn here how a holy, a Christian ought to be, especially a religious and apostolic man who wishes to make others holy so as to be like the apostles and even like Christ, and to be diligent in imitating their most holy practices and deeds. Christianity, says St. Gregory of Nyssen, is the imitation of the divine nature. For a Christian ought to imitate as much as he can the holiness of God in Christ, so that Christ may always shine forth in his words and actions so that anyone who sees or hears him may think that he sees and hears Christ. Holiness is a turning away from the world and a turning to God and Christ in union with them. Accordingly to the apostles that converted the world more by their holiness and burning love than by their preachings. Nay, the thundered, they thundered with their mouths because they flashed forth in their life as Nazianzen says of St. Basil. Now, this is very important to keep in mind. There is this common misconception that we should preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. But here, Cornelius Lapide points out, yes, they did convert more by their love and by their holiness. However, they did thunder with their mouths because they flashed forth in their life. We'll be right back with more. Hey, Donnie, in what gospel do we find the Hail Mary prayer? The gospel of Luke. Do we worship Mary? No. What do we do? Ask her to pray for us. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that most people think that rules apply to others but not to themselves? They always consider themselves to be the exception. But what ends up happening is that everybody is an exception, and so the rules don't apply to anybody. 
The result is something worse than chaos. It's a loss of all the categories of respect and justice. G.K. Chesterton says that when the exception has become the rule, that is the worst of all possible tyrannies. When the Cardinal, formerly known as Ratzinger, gave his final homily before the papal conclave, he said, we are living under the tyranny of relativism. What is relativism? It's when there are no rules, only exceptions. The man about to become Pope was echoing Chesterton exactly. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you. You know, there are a lot of things in the news that are of great concern to me, and uh, they should be to you as well. But, you know, there's a couple of good news stories that I kind of brought up, and I'm thinking, wow, it's uh, it's only 17 past the hour, and we're already talking about good news? What's up with that? That's crazy. We, we never have good news. But yet, today, we are going to be talking about good news. And a letter, and so this is from Catholic Vote, which, you know, i got to say, Catholic Vote... They put out a lot of really good articles. And here this letter came out from them. They said, in letter to Supich, socialist Chicago politician sides with Latin mass Catholics. I was thinking, hmm, that's interesting to me. That's odd. Isn't it? Isn't it? And so the Democratic Chicago alderman, Jeanette Taylor, sent a letter to Cardinal Blaise Supich in which she advocated for the resumption of the traditional Latin mass at the Shrine of Christ the King, which the Cardinal helped halt last August. Now, this is kind of funny to me, and I'm going to continue reading the story to you to get all the details. But before I go on, it was kind of interesting to me because whenever this originally happened, when Cardinal Supich came out and started uh, shutting down the Latin Mass with the Institute of Christ the King in Chicago... I was talking to some uh, friends of mine from Chicago, including uh, Emily Alcaraz, or now Emily Esserman, if you remember Emily. She, uh, we were talking about this whole situation with a number of Chicagoans, and as it turns out, the population in the community, because apparently this happened, this is very, very frequent. Anybody who attends the traditional Latin Mass will be well aware of this. They often will stick the traditional Latin Mass in the worst parts of town. They will put them in areas where there's uh, low-income families, where there's high crime, where there's uh, the buildings are coming down. They'll usually provide churches that are old and decrepit, and usually that's the situation in most dioceses for the traditional Latin Mass. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because I was told by a number of people from Chicago that the population around the Institute of Christ the King was very similar to this. It was uh, very similar to what we see all over America. A not the best part of town. A very low income area, high crime area, but that the community was actually moving forward, was moving up. Why? Apparently, from what I heard, it was because of the Institute of Christ the King. Because apparently, the Institute of Christ the King was going out and feeding the poor. They're going out and helping the population. They're going out and talking and conversing with people. And it was actually having a positive effect on the community and not just the Catholics, but the whole community. And I thought that was very interesting. And so the story goes on. It says Taylor has served as a member of the Chicago City Council since 2019, representing the 20th Ward on the city's south side, which includes the Woodlawn neighborhood that houses the shrine. 
She is a member of the Democratic Socialist of America and was a supporter of the city's far-left mayor, Brandon Johnson, in this year's Chicago mayoral election. Cardinal Supich, the Archbishop of Chicago since 2014, has been a prominent supporter of restricting and even eliminating the traditional Latin Mass. In a February op-ed for America magazine, he stated that Catholics who prefer to attend the Mass, which it's not a preference, as it was celebrated prior to the Second Vatican Council of the 1960s, are doing so out of, quote, resistance to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the undermining of genuine fidelity to the See of Peter. Now, the question is, if it's a resistance to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go to the Mass that the Holy Spirit guided for 1,900 years that's very interesting to me. That's very interesting to me. This very interesting. On August 1st, 2022, the shrine suspended all public masses. It had previously celebrated, oh, just went off on YouTube. That's crazy. On August 1st, 2022, the shrine suspended all public masses. It had previously celebrated the Latin Mass exclusively. Nearly a year later, the shrine had to resume masses while Supich had months earlier issued new guidelines to greatly limit the practice of the old Roman rite. A diocesan spokesperson claimed that this decision was of the shrine's own accord. Supich has repeatedly defended his anti-TLM stance by claiming that he is merely enforcing a papal decree. However, Supich has not been afraid to buck the Vatican in the past, specifically in the topic of vaccine mandates. The shrine is operated by the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest, and which describes itself as being dedicated to promoting the benevolent reign of our Lord Jesus Christ in all aspects of human life, for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls, by restoring Catholic life and culture in the world today. In a May 9th letter to Supich, Alderman Taylor wrote, Since the summer, I have been deeply concerned by your administration's decision to suppress the Institute's ability to operate at the Shrine. The Institute, an ever-growing congregation of Shrine faithful, have been an integral part of the 20th Ward since they first arrived at the prior Cardinal's Invitation in 2003. While many Shrine faithful may not live in Woodlawn, we know that the Shrine is their spiritual home, and we consider them a vital part of our community. I was like, hmm, very interesting. The politician also promoted out that the Shrine and its parishioners have brought a financial benefit to the community. She represents on behalf of my constituents. I am asking your administration to restore confidence in the shrine's restoration by allowing the Institute to operate according to the terms of the, your original agreement with them. She concludes. I am hopeful that the shrine's restoration may continue to flourish. Now it's very interesting to me that this, this self-proclaimed Democrat socialist of America would come out defending the Institute of Christ the King. I highly recommend reading her whole letter that she put out to Cardinal Supich because in it, it really tells you how the traditional Latin mass community is not some group that's just bunkering down, burying the head in the sand and pretending to just be alone and have this kind of, this kind of lone wolf mentality. Instead, they actually have a real effect on the community that they're in. It's very, very interesting that they would uh, have this be a reality. And so when you see groups like Cardinal Supich, people like Cardinal Supich, who comes out and oppresses the Trish Latin Mass, what does that tell you? 
these groups that have such a positive effect on the community who convert people to the faith, that produce vocations, that bring people to faith, and you decide to shut those groups down? That's, that's very common in many inner cities where many of the bishops place the TLM parish because they find the most de- decrepit area that they don't want and they, and they want to close, but then here comes the TLM people, and so they place them there and they revitalize the community around them. Neighborhoods start to improve, people start turning their lives around, and all the social services and indirect uh, programs that emanate from that parish. So this is not surprising well, it is surprising because it is a socialist mayor. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect a socialist mayor to come out, and he's not Catholic either, come out defending Catholics. So very good news there. And right on the heels of good news, and let's pray that this gets resolved in terms of um, of getting this passed into, uh, getting a Cardinal Subic to ter- overturn this. I mean, maybe a Democrat socialist will be the thing to, that convinces him to give a lot of mass back. But... The, here is an article from LifeSite, so we'll go from good news to good news. Uh, Tennessee codifies biological definition of sex protect teachers from trans pronoun mandates. The new law signed by Governor Bill Lee are the latest example of Tennesseans fighting back against radical LGBT ideology. And the, here it says by, uh, from Nashville, the governor of Tennessee has signed legislation that defines sex as binary and biological in state law and allow teachers to reject the use of preferred pronouns with their students. Now, I think this is hilarious because it's like five years ago, who would have even thought that it was necessary to put into the law that the law, that sex is binary, that there is only two sexes, male and female. I mean, any, any child could tell you that. And you know how I know because you know when every man, every little boy knows that girls have cooties, and you can't you can't be touching girls because they have cooties, and so there you know right from the early age you have to know the difference between a man and a woman, or else you might catch cooties. So it's, it goes all the way back to uh, to first grade. Everyone knows it's just so obvious, but now we have to pass a law to uh, make it so. And so I'm glad this law got passed. Now, here it says, last week, Republican Governor Bill Lee signed into law two bills that defend the true definition of sex and prevent teachers from being forced to participate in gender ideology in the classroom. Both pieces of legislation were signed on Wednesday, May 17th. You know, I was thinking about this, too, because my my cousin over the weekend on last Saturday, he had a gender reveal party for his son, which turns out it was a son. And uh, the and we were talking about that. (laughs) And it was interesting to me because I was thinking, okay, uh, I don't know how I feel about gender reveal parties. I don't really like the term gender. The term gender just doesn't strike me as something that is what we mean when we are talking about this. Because gender is, has been so co-opted by the left that it's kind of difficult to try to understand what we're talking about. And so gender reveal party, it just has a bad connotation. Now, the correct answer is that we talk about sex. You're born with a sex. Right? Male or female. That's why on forums you, you put male or female when, when you're trying to put down what sex you are. Now, this is interesting to me, and I know calling it like a sex reveal party would be weird and would be probably be more controversial. However, it's just the, this idea of gender reveal parties. I suppose it's good in the sense that it, it rejects the idea of being able to choose your own gender and that you are, in fact, born a certain way from the very womb. Uh, you are knitted in the womb by, by our Lord, and you have... A, a sex, and it's not assigned to you at birth. You are 
concede with it. Our Lord has given it to you. It is part of his active will that you are male or female. So that's very good. So here it goes on. As used in this code, sex means a person's immutable biological sex as determined by anatomy and genetics existing at the time of birth and evidence of a person's biological sex. Evidence of a person's biological sex includes, but is not limited to, a government-issued identification document that accurately reflects a person's sex listed on the person's original birth certificate. Now, this law is going to take place on July 1st, so that's pretty great. I'm glad they're not putting it off till the who knows when. This is great because this is a very confusing time, and we have to enshrine in laws things that are going to make things more clear. We want things to be clear, not to be obfuscated. And so the best way to do this is to make it obvious. This also helps people to fight back against this because now people who are scared, who don't have the backbone to stand up against these LGBT groomers, what they can do is they can point to the law and say, hey, look, I'm just following the law here. Hey, I, I can't. I cannot support this whole uh, gender non-binary stuff because the law says so. So the law will have to be a guardian. The law has to be a fence post. Now, oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes the, the laws are not good and they promote perversion. But this is not how it should be. We should fight to make the laws just because every single law is about morality. Every single law is about morality. It's about good and evil. That is why we pass laws, because we support particular positions morally. So let us fight to have more laws like this. That way we can protect our children and in a very real way, protect truth, because truth is ultimately what's under attack. We'll be right back with more after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who did God use to get John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's your choices. Could it have been Simeon or St. Joseph or maybe an unknown prophet? Maybe Jesus. Who was it? Your answer in a moment. Secondly, so what methods do we see in the New Testament for Christians receiving the Holy Spirit? Well, it was usually through the laying on of hands. Peter and John laid hands on those in Samaria. St. Paul laid hands on those believers in Ephesus. Prior to that, we see Jesus merely breathing on the apostles. So here's your answer. A greeting. Yes, a greeting. You see, after Gabriel's powerful annunciation to the Virgin Mary, a simple, profound greeting from Mary to Elizabeth caused John the Baptist to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he leaped in her womb. Now, to all my daring Pentecostal church friends, no matter how much you pray in tongues over someone, this method won't work. Why? Because it's not a method. It was the divine team of the Blessed Trinity, Gabriel, Mary, and Elizabeth. And that, my friend, will not happen again. Hi, this is Dr. David Anders from EWTN's Call to Communion. I believe that the Ministry of Catholic Radio is one of the greatest tools we have in the church for evangelism today. I hear from people all over the world on a daily basis who have encountered Christ in the Catholic Church for the first time by listening to Catholic Radio. Please support the Ministry of Catholic Radio today. Support Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Wednesday, May 24th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. And these are your headlines for this morning. 
Catholic News Agency is responding to the news that the Los Angeles Dodgers will honor a self-described, quote, leading-edge order of queer and trans nuns, end quote, with a long history of obscenely satirizing the Catholic faith. The Archdiocese of L.A. is calling for all Catholics and people of goodwill to stand against bigotry and hate in any form. The decision to honor a group that clearly mocks the Catholic faith and makes light of the sincere and holy vocations of our women religious who are an integral part of our church is what has caused disappointment, concern, anger, and dismay from our Catholic community, the Archdiocese said in a statement Tuesday. Catholic News Agency is reporting Pope Francis on Tuesday appointed Erie, Pennsylvania priest Monsignor Edward Losey to lead the Diocese of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Monsignor Edward M. Losey, 61, succeeds Bishop Paul J. Bradley, 77, whose resignation was accepted by Pope Francis on May 23rd. Bradley will continue to serve as Apostolic Administrator of the Diocese of Kalamazoo until Losey's ordination in St. Augustine Cathedral on July 25th, according to the diocese. The Diocese of Kalamazoo, which compromises nine counties in southwest Michigan, has 59 parishes, 21 Catholic schools, and almost 80,000 Catholics. Achi Prensa is reporting an 80-year-old man wielding a knife tried to kill Archbishop Faustino Armendariz of Durango, Mexico on May 21st. The attack took place in the cathedral sacristy after the Sunday noon mass. The man was later arrested by municipal authorities. After the failed murder attempt, Armenandariz on Twitter thanked God, the Most Holy Virgin, the Immaculate Conception, and the Holy Martyrs who today on their feast day have protected me from this aggression against my physical integrity in the sacristy of the Cathedral of Durango. And finally, Live Site News is reporting U.S. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina announced on Monday his candidacy for the Republican nomination for President of the United States offering a message rooted in his personal story and how it reflects opportunity for success in a free America tailored for those who want more positivity in politics. On his campaign website, Scott says, growing up in a poor, single-parent household, his mother instilled in him what it meant to find dignity in work and the power that faith in God can have on your life. While his grandfather, who dropped out of the third grade to pick cotton, taught him and his brother the value of education and sat at the kitchen table every morning with a newspaper to set a good example. I am Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. Now, joining us right now via phone is the is attorney Brent Haynes and resident philosopher. Uh, good morning to you, Brent. Good morning, Adrian. It's good to hear your voice again. It's uh, always a pleasure to have you on. Now, you know, I texted you last night and you were like, okay, uh, I would really like to bring up the topic of crime among teens and young adults. And I thought, okay, that's a really great topic, especially when we see these numbers of uh, uh, skyrocketing in terms of crime rates is going up, up and up. And I think your average person kind of perceives this on their own without even needing to see any statistics. It just feels that way. Uh, so let's start there, Mr. Haynes. Well, crime in general has been an issue now for the last few years, especially at, you know, starting with the uh, riots in the summer of, you know, the, the, uh, of the, first, the, first, the first summer of COVID. There was a lot of uh, what is simply politically organized crime, which, you know, uh, protesters who wore the black mask and had the, you know, the political motives. They were attacking courthouses, attacking police, tearing down statues, talking about, um, you know, 
reforming the United States or you know, reforming uh, you know, the historical images that existed around the country. You know, th that's not w what we're talking about. Crime in general has been getting worse. That's largely related to um, people argue about this, but I'm perfectly happy to engage in that debate with anybody who wants to. Uh, there have been soft on crime laws. Uh, there has been, you know, the no get the elimination of cash bails in, in places like New York where people commit crimes and they just walk out of court the same day. Um, but I'm talking about something different here. I'm talking about crime among teenagers. It is clear to anybody who's watching the news that it's not just a matter of more coverage of something that wasn't covered as much previously. It's not just a matter of having um, a greater availability to capture these incidents, although that is part of the problem that helps feed it. Um, it's not as if this has existed all of the time. What, what I'm talking about is something that, that certainly appears to have gotten worse in the last few years, and that is the absolutely barbaric, savage, just uncivilized behavior of teenagers around this country. Um, over the weekend, did you see the news of the flash mob of 400 teenagers who showed up at an armed forces carnival in Chicago? I did not. Tell me about that. It was a neighborhood event in Chicago, and the event had to be shut down. And teenagers, using modern technology, created a flash mob. You know what a flash mob is. You know, Correct. So a flash, flash mob, mob, for those who don't know, is when... A bunch of people randomly, seemingly randomly show up to something and start acting in a unified manner about something. Usually flash mobs are in regards to like people uh, doing dancing or singing or things like that, performing, putting on a show. But uh, it generally is just a, a bunch of people seemingly randomly showing up and doing something. Brent, this is Tito. I, I want to jump right in here, Brent. Could, could you... Uh, in, in the break, could you take a drink of water uh, or, and clear your throat? That, that would help us a lot. Thank you. Sorry. Go ahead, Brent. Oh, it looks like we lost Brent. Uh, we'll get Brent back on in just a second. And so uh, when we do, we will pick up right there. But it is very interesting to me. We see these uh, rising crime rates, especially whenever we see situations like uh, what we saw a couple days ago where there was this, uh, this, this white lady who was trying to get a bike and these uh, five guys, which I guess they were not teens, but we're seeing these like crime rates skyrocketing and it seems to be a situation that is a uh, becoming more and more prevalent as we go on. Uh, but Brent, you were, you were saying I'll let you pick up. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't up to Tito's standards there, so I guess he just decided to cut me off, Adrian. Thanks, I buddy. know, he uh, hung up on you. No, seriously, though, um, over the weekend in Chicago, 400 teenagers showed up on a flash mob. I was getting ready to say it's a side note, the best flash mob I ever saw was a flash mob, a Eucharistic flash mob, where two monks in England went out and, and uh, exposed the Holy Eucharist. And it was interesting to, in, a, in a city in England, it was, you can find this on YouTube, uh, it was interesting how people responded because a lot of people formed a circle and actually knelt while the, while the monks you know, prayed and adored the Holy Eucharist for a few minutes. Um, but that's not your typical flash mob. Uh, in Chicago, 400 teenagers showed up at this event 
uh, began running around, uh, becoming violent or threatening violence. They disrupted it. And the event had to be shut down. Um, some of them were wearing ski masks, accord, according to, you know, according to some of the participants or some of the witnesses. Um, fights broke out. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal in and of itself, but that's 400 teenagers. And the point here, uh, for our purposes this morning is this is not an isolated incident. In Maryland, just on, uh, Monday of this week, um, a 14-year-old girl was arrested in in Maryland because earlier this month, uh, three teenagers jumped on a bus and attempted to kill another student on the bus, a 14-year-old boy. They actually pointed a gun at his head and pulled the trigger. Unfortunately, the gun did not go off. They pulled the trigger three times by some reports. This was organized by a 14-year-old girl. Hmm. And she has been arrested. They've identified um, and arrested at least some of the other teens that were that were involved. Um, it, and yeah, that's obviously as bad as it gets, except except for when when the gun actually does go off. But in New York, um, there was a, a group of teenagers who pulled a, a an apparently autistic 15-year-old boy pulled him um, off of a subway platform and just uh, and and just beat him and yelled racial anti-black slurs according to news reports um, the um, in um, Chicago going back to Chicago for a moment you know there there's other video that came out just last month of a large group of teenagers who just descended on some young woman and she was going into her apartment building and and began assaulting her. It says that uh, they jumped. They also jumped on city buses. They destroyed cars. And as one report says, shot one another as police struggled to get the situation under control. Um, now I mentioned the role of the video, you know, videos in this, encouraging this. Some of the teens there, of course. Uh, are assaulting this woman as she tries to go into her apartment building. This woman's done nothing. She's just trying to go into her apartment building. You can go online and look at this. And then, of course, some of the teens did what so many people in our society do, especially the younger people. They pull out their phones, they videotape it, and then they upload it to social media. And on this one, somebody put in the headline or the tag, as this woman is being assaulted, they're videotaping her and they're posting it online and they put in the tag, yay, we get active. Yep, yep. I think a lot of this has to do with uh, social media influence. I think a lot of this has to do with soft on crime attitudes. We're going to pick up right here when we come back with Brent Haynes uh, today. He's an attorney, but he's also today our philosopher. So we're going to discern what is up with this. How is it happening when we come back? Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What's your go-to for interpreting the Bible? You go on Sinatra, he did it his way, or you go on Magisterium, we're doing it the Apostles' way. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. The Magisterium. What's that? That's the indisputable 2,000-year teaching authority of the Church. The Catechism says, the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the Catholic Church alone. Secondly, a stark contrast. Again, the Catechism says, the Magisterium is not 
not superior to the Word of God, but it is its servant. In contrast, the megachurch pastors are coming up with some crazy stuff. They tell us, quote, God is doing a new thing, or the Lord spoke to me this. Humorously, out from all of this, they become their own pseudo-magisterium. And thirdly, Mr. Sinatra, your voice and your music in the 40s swooned my mother, but with lofty lyrics and a lot of ego, your advice from the 1975 hit, I Did It My Way, falls short. Come on, let's get under the comforting shade of the magisterium. Hey, Donnie, name four of the seven sacraments. Baptism, confession. That's right, reconciliation. Communion and confirmation. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you. It's 45 past the hour, and we're with Brent Haynes. We're talking about the crime rates among young people, especially teenagers specifically. And it's very interesting to me, Brent. We're talking about all these things, these stats, these stories that have happened. And I want to get into a little bit of diagnosis here and a little bit of speculation. I was reading this morning, teen depression started to rise around 2012, a time that coincides with the popularity of smartphones. As says Jean Twinge, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University, says nearly every teenager in America uses social media. And yet we do not have enough evidence to conclude that it is sufficiently safe for them. The Surgeon General's advisory states, our children have become unknowing participants in a decade-long experiment. It is critical that independent researchers and technology companies work together to rapidly advance our understanding of the impact of social media on children and adolescents. Now, Brent, my theory here is a lot of this is pushing for clout everyone wants to be famous everyone wants to go viral and they see these stories of people getting beat up people fighting and this is what happens and people become famous and i think that is a element to why this happens among many other things related to social media what are your thoughts brent haynes well that just that just seems undeniably true and before the recent uh rise in team violence that um, I'm talking about this morning. You might remember that starting around the time of the, you know, the advent of the cell phones, as you just noticed and that researcher just pointed out, uh, when they began to become more popular, you started to see the occasional and then more frequently, unfortunately, more, the uh, more the more frequent video of teenagers fighting with each other, and usually it would be one or you know, one or two teenagers who'd pick a fight with another teenager. Other kids would gather around, they'd pull out their phones, they'd videotape it, and then they would upload it to social media. And this was what they did to uh, popularize themselves uh, among the, in their immediate community to try to get to see how many views they could get or how many likes they could get on the media, how many comments they could get, because they're living in that virtual world. And, of course, the socially dysfunctional part of this is that they're engaging in violence on real human beings in order to do that. So you used to see, uh, you know, starting about 10 years ago when the phones became popular, you used to see a, 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 these fights, these videos that were being made of these fights, usually in schools or but between teenagers somewhere. 
And that certainly exacerbated the problem. You know, every kid who grew up and went to schools dealt with a bully at some time or another, or have seen, you know, kids who have got, gotten into fights for uh, usually for bad reasons, uh, generally not for good reasons. But, you know, the schoolyard fights are one thing. But the advent of cell phones certainly, certainly uh, added to that because it made it easy to, when combined with social media, to sort of popularize yourself if you were a bully or if you were part of a gang. And that's what these usually are. These usually are, you know, when you go back and look at these videos, you'll often see they're not what you would consider a fair fight in the sense of being one-on-one. But the more recent phenomenon is just far beyond that. What we're seeing when you look at these videos, when you see a mob of virtually adult teenagers, just an entire mob descending on a woman, and as she tries to enter her apartment building, and then videotaping that violence while they're assaulting her, and then tagging it with the headline, yay, we get active. We're talking about the normalization of just thoroughly uncivilized behavior. When you see videos, and you can see them every week, you can see them every day if you want, of not just teens and other people going into stores and committing mass retail theft, but when you see um, the, the violence, the pe- you know, going up to people on the street and attacking them, there are videos out there of people just going up to the street on, and shooting people, um, crime against uh, you know, certain ethnic groups. Um, Asians have been the target of crimes, for example, especially in larger cities like New York. Uh, some people just be walking down the street and you know, people come up and, and attack them for no reason, not always by teens, but you'll frequently see this behavior by teenagers. And the larger point for us here as Catholics is, how did they get these values? Where did they think that this, why did they think that this is all right? How did this become socially acceptable in their communities? And the question I have is, where are their families? Mm. And especially, where is their father? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This, no, that's a know, great point. I think that's a, a huge epidemic, and nobody wants to talk about is the meaning of fathers in the home and the power that fathers have in the home, especially when fathers act like fathers. It's a it's a huge deal, especially whenever we see these uh, these attack on masculinity, this attack against the quote patriarchy, and so they try to denigrate even in houses where if the father is home. How often is the father emasculated and the father not able to be the patriarch of his home? It happens too much. Uh, what are your thoughts on the issue of the, of the fatherless homes, Brent? Well, yeah, that's, that was one of the ultimate points we were headed toward. The, there have been studies on this, and it's hard, it's hard to do studies on something that doesn't exist in the sense that when a, a family isn't married and the father isn't present, you're trying to prove a negative. But sometimes professors or researchers will go into a prison and they'll do surveys or they'll look at court records and they'll try, they'll try to They'll try to um, get some information on that. But it is overwhelming. I can tell you anecdotally from my work, you know, as a prosecutor, from talking to other prosecutors, um, you know, when I talk to other prosecutors or I'm talking about the problems we deal with in our offices, the, the question I ask sometimes is, of all of those criminal cases that come across a prosecutor's desk, with all of the defendants in all of those cases, how many times did that de- defendant grow up in a family where mom and dad were married, mom, dad provided for the family, and maybe mom too, but certainly dad provided for the family, 
the family sat down for dinner together every night, and on Sunday, Dad got everybody up to go to church. Mm-hmm. And and really, if if you look at the family history, which is often available, um, you, you can you can tell by looking at looking at that information. The answer is very few. Absolutely, very rare. you know it's interesting almost, almost, you say that because never. I think about the fact that we live in a society without consequences. And the person who usually gives the consequences to actions as a child is the father. And this is why a traditional home is the right circumstance for the rearing of children. It's like our ancestors knew what they were doing. And so they, we have these situations where we have separated. Like the greatest gift that my mother ever gave me was that she was a stay-at-home mom. That she decided to stay home and take care of us, and the the reflection and and how all of us, me and my siblings, have all turned out of having my mother at home and my father working and my father coming home, my father as a disciplinarian, and all these different things. A very what many people would call a traditional home, a traditional structure, has produced great fruit. I think, and my my looking at my siblings, and I think they turned out pretty well. And I think that's very, very important. Now, to the point of consequences, I also want to say you as an attorney would probably be able to speak to this is that we see there's many reports of people saying, oh, well, actually, the amount of arrest is actually going down among young people. But I feel as though that's probably something more to do with these catch and release ideas, even perhaps with kids. Uh, what did it say you, Brent Haynes? Yeah, that's another discussion entirely. Uh, for one thing, when police are discouraged that there won't be any uh, purpose in making the arrest, they're much less likely to make an arrest. Uh, if they know the person is simply going to be released, what is the point of making the arrest? Also, the police are overwhelmed. If you have 400 people storming an event in Chicago, as the news report said, the police are struggling to gain control. They can't even physically get control of the situation to arrest those people. Another point is legally is you can't just arrest somebody for being around a group of people, even if it's a violent mob. You have you have to have charges for that specific person. You've got to be able to prove that specific person committed a crime. The arrest statistics are not are not indicative of what's going on here. Um, the bigger issue is that we see this happening all the time. Our inner cities especially are becoming less and less safe. They're becoming less civilized because of the breakdown of the family and the lack of moral values that are being taught to young people. And talk to sociologists. Why do young teenage boys join gangs? Gangs have been a problem in this country for decades. Why do they join gangs? Talk to sociologists and you'll find out. They often they join gangs because of a, they want a sense of community, and because they get a male role model. Mm. They get a male role model or male role models among the older members of the gang. They see exemplars of success, success from their point of view, uh, men who have money, men who have nice cars, men who have nice clothes, and they don't have a father in their household to look up to who can set them straight or can provide a counter example to that, a you know, productive moral example. So our families are not ra- our, our families are breaking down, and they're not ra- raising children, and especially young men. Uh, but now, and unfortunately, worse and worse, uh, girls too. They're not they're not raising with moral values. You know, increasingly, that's the problem. Then you add to that the the propellant of social media, and you get flash mobs. You get the, this gang activity all the time. You get this this sense of the ability to act with impunity because our criminal justice system doesn't take these things seriously. Where the criminal justice reform effort 
mostly at the adult level, um, has set the example that nothing's going to happen to you if you commit a crime. Our juvenile justice system in the United States is based on the idea that children should be rehabilitated, and generally, they should be rehabilitated. The problem is you get repeat juvenile offenders who know that they will, they will suffer no consequences, and then oftentimes our juvenile justice facilities, most juvenile defendants, by the way, they're not even called defendants in, in most jurisdictions, but most uh, Juvenile justice defendants, juvenile offenders, aren't confined. They're usually released to their parents or back to their families or to someone. But even when they are confined, those facilities, much like the adult prison, simply turn into places where they meet fellow criminals and they learn criminal behavior. So the family fails in teaching moral values and providing structure and enforcing discipline. These children act out. They act out as young adults. They act out as teenagers on the verge of adulthood. Mm-hmm. Society is supposed to step in and be the family and establish the moral values and the discipline of society. And now with the inefficacy of our juvenile justice system and with the so-called criminal justice reform efforts that are setting the example that crime pays and that there aren't any consequences, then Absolutely. society is not teaching those moral values or enforcing that discipline anyway. No, that's, that's a great point. It's a great point. Thank you very much, Brian. We're out of time. And, you know, I just one that one last thing is rehabilitation. How could we do it with secularization? It has to be a return to the Catholic faith, a conversion of hearts and minds. But God bless you, Brent. Have a blessed day. Thanks for being on. And that's going to do it for the first hour. Stay with us. And in the next hour, we're going to be talking about a little bit more about this, really. Should we withdraw from the world? Do we run or do we stay and fight? We'll be right back. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. Come on, babe. It'll be fun. It's just you and me. Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens forgives and sets us free so if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass come home and experience a fresh start visit catholicscomehome.org Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Have you ever replaced pronouns in the Bible such as who, whom, whosoever, ye, you, etc., and replaced those words with your name and therefore you personalize the Bible to yourself? Do you do that? Is that a safe way to read the Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, Bible complexity. Mechanics study motors. Architects study design. Linguists study syntax. But for the most part, Christians don't study the how-tos of safe biblical interpretation called hermeneutics. Secondly, Aquinas. In the Summa, we see the caution. Aquinas says of the Bible, quote, the manner of its speech transcends every science because in one and the same sentence, while it describes a fact, it reveals a mystery and thirdly, a tough comeback. I know it seems plausible to simply say the Bible is a love letter straight from God to humanity, but wait a minute. A sentence or a paragraph in a love letter has context. Yes, with great caution, we can personalize some context, but remember, when you're at the central figure in the Bible, God isn't, and that's just wrong. So the neighbor who we've spoken to, you know, just in greeting, who I don't believe has ever spoken back to us, out of the blue uh, surprised us. One day we were getting the kids in the car for Mass and asked us if we were going to Mass. I was dumbstruck for about probably 10 seconds. It was great that we had an opportunity to share about our parish and that we were Catholic. Turned out she was Catholic too and she assumed we were because of the bumper sticker on our car. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.
your 24-hour-a-day source of Catholic inspiration. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Tracy Sanchez from San Augustine Catholic School. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. The breakdown of society, the destruction of the family unit, the question always comes up, should we just retreat? Should we just hunker down, start our own little monastery? And it's a very tempting idea. I mean, I'm very much, very inclined to this. I was reading this article from 1 Peter 5 this morning, and I was kind of, there's elements to it that I agree with, elements to it that I disagree with. But I wanted to share it with you because this lady, her name is Daniela, has a really interesting perspective. She's a wife and mother of six kids. And most interesting to me is that she grew up in a in a household that was very traditional but also very secluded so that's a very interesting perspective that she has now this article that goes to starts off here there is a growing desire among faithful catholics to remove all connections from the outside world it's a reaction in response to the world's progressive ideology that includes an upheaval of common decency a lack of morality and a disgust of anything related to god As I understand the root of this mentality to protect our children from evil influences and the importance of preserving their innocence, there is a level of practicality that needs to be discussed. So I think it's an excellent way to start the article, recognizing, yeah, there is a major problem, that there is a lack of morality, that they they hate God, as we saw with the L.A. Dodgers and with Target, with every aspect of the world. They hate God. They hate anyone who desires to love God. Now here it goes on. As many of you know from my previous articles, I was raised in the underground Latin mass of the 1980s and the 1990s. My perspective of childhood in the Catholic church is much different from the average Catholic of the time. Now that the Latin mass is a slightly different growth position 40 years later, there now appears to be a trend arising from this growth towards forming Catholic communities. I want to touch on the pros and cons of this thought process and how my grandparents also dealt with similar concerns. Now, I think this is interesting, and I recommend you go check out her other article from 1 Peter 5 about her experience being raised in underground Latin masses in the 1980s and 1990s, a very unique experience that most of us, myself included, I mean, I didn't even know the Latin mass existed until I was in college. That was probably, what, 2015? Two years ago? Oh, like 2015 yeah. since I, when I realized... It says here, there is no need to debate the obvious. The evil of this world no longer hides in dark corners or under the guise of goodness. It doesn't have to any longer. Our society, through vice and lack of self-control, has enabled evil to dwell quite openly and also attacks the most innocent souls, our children. As a parent in today's world, there's an ever-increasing desire to seek protection for these innocent ones. It is of the utmost importance for parents to use prudence and keep the sense and the souls of those children within the realm of innocence 
and goodness. Now, I think this is interesting because I was talking with a friend not too long ago about the secret societies like the Freemasons and other groups like them and how they were like, oh, but nowadays they don't do that anymore. And I'm like, well, they kind of do. The problem is that they're all out in the open because there's no, re- no need to be secret about it anymore. It all, what was in the dark has now been brought to light. However, the world accepts it. There's no reason to be a secret communist when you could be an outright communist. There's no reason to be a secret Satanist when you can be an outright Satanist. So all these things have become very obvious because we've accepted it. Going on, it says, I have noticed that many souls who are brought to the faithful traditions of the Catholic Church also are quickly drawn to a contemplative life. Specifically, women who have heard and followed the progressive lies of feminism are now embracing motherhood and homemaking with reverence. The movement towards femininity that is family-centered is truly a gift from God, as so many little souls will experience the love and nurturing of dear parents who desire to raise saints. You know, it's said that a the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, right? Because the mother has the greatest role in all of jobs in the world, You could either work for the widget factory, work for your boss. You can even work for yourself or you can work for your family. You can raise a family. You can raise kids to be good Catholics, to be saints who change the world for the better. This is something that is a very powerful, powerful and very important job that should never be denigrated. In fact, it should be venerated. Now it goes on, with all that being said, a desire among many Catholics to retract from the confines of this world is strong, but not completely practical. My grandmother was a staunch traditional Catholic and was very involved in preserving the Latin Mass. Her opinionated temperament never shied away from speaking the truth, no matter the consequences. She strongly desired the resurgence of the Latin Mass, and there was no question about shrinking from the shadows from shrinking behind the shadows. My grandmother recognized that she was not a religious sister, even though she did visit a convent as a young woman and decided that was not her vocation. But she was a wife, mother, and grandmother. It was her responsibility to build the culture toward goodness within her means. Had my grandparents driven to a far-off corner of Wisconsin and settled away from the daily struggles to preserve the Latin Mass, our area may have had a different result from today's growing traditional community. It is understandable that each soul has different gifts and God has a particular role for each one of us in this life. And at times the thought of living a monastic life as a rural family may seem appealing, but that isn't the calling for every soul. Rather, it is more important for each soul to find their own solitude within their homes and with their family and close friends. There is absolutely a need to protect innocent souls, and even though through the chaos and evil of this world, God has gifted us with beautiful Catholic communities across the world. There is no need to shrink from the world completely. Every wholesome career needs hard workers and moral souls. Every family needs strong, virtuous mothers. Our communities need leaders, doers, and helpers. Souls are searching for goodness and joy, even among the chaos and evil. There are misled souls who desire to find faith and hope. Their search shouldn't be forsaken, 
as someone led each other, each of us, towards God. Maybe we can do the same for others. The progressive ideology that embeds every fabric of our society is not a reason to disconnect from the world. Yes, we are to live with prudence for our family, and especially our children. But God did not call the lady to become nuns or priests. As lady, our lives are intertwined with the world, and we must raise souls who will one day will also need to live among the wolves. So rather than spending the time shrinking away from society, let's attempt to build it up through our example of joy and goodness. Ultimately, to lead souls to toward tradition and God's love. I think it's an excellent article. I'm not 100% convinced by her position, but I think it's very interesting, worthy of conversation, because in one sense, I agree that we shouldn't try to hide away. We do need to be in the fight. We do need to be expose our children to the fight while preserving their innocence. This is one of the reasons why I'm a huge advocate of the, the TFP. I think they do a great job of teaching young boys that there is a fight out there and that the fight is real. But at the same time, I do think that there is going to be growing concerns in the world, that there is going to be food shortages, that there's going to be oppression, and there's going to be all these different things, and we should be somewhat self-sufficient, growing our own food, maybe get some chickens, and things like that. So I think I see kind of see both sides to this, and maybe there's a balance. Maybe there's a balance, and maybe we say, okay, well, maybe we can't live in the major cities, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, D.C., L.A., things like that. Maybe we have to live in the outskirts of town. Maybe it's still okay. Maybe we work in the cities, but we live outside the cities. And then maybe the answer is that we start to influence the small cities first. We start running for office in the small cities. We build businesses in the small cities. And then by kind of having these smaller communities that are not completely separated from society, we start influencing the cities nearby. And then over time we're able to influence the major cities. And this happens gradually with small baby steps. You, you eat an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And I think that's perhaps that's the tactic. That's the way to go. I'm curious to your thoughts, and, uh, and I would be very curious if you would leave a comment. If you're watching on our live streams, if you're listening on the radio, uh, join us in our live streams. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's discussion. Because I don't, I don't have an answer. I think it's something that's worthy of discussion. I, I know I have my little fantasy, my little dreams of having a little, a little farm home, little ranch, a little wraparound porch. And I, I think about these kind of things, and it's, it's very sweet, but it's a good thing to think about. What do we want? You what do we desire? Definitely have it in the city. You can have both. You can have your. Because funny thing is, I like a wrap wraparound porch also. Why not be that community inside the city? That way your neighbors can see you, your, your colleagues can see you, people can see, the strangers on the street can see the witness of your family. At the same time, you, you, ha, you, t you weave a tight-knit community amongst your friends and, and other parishioners uh, getting involved in each other's lives, in their sacramental life, in, in other leisure activities as well. And, and just growing together as a community within the city or within the town. I, I think, I mean, I don't know what the correct way or what the best way is. That's the way I'm, I'm thinking of pursuing. That's the way I, I'm, I believe would, would work best for me, depending on, on how you want to live. Uh, if you're a small town kid and, and you grew up small town and you want to go back, that's cool too. 
Uh, but that's, I, I think it's, it'd be more effective because you could probably draw more people into your close-knit group of friends or at least bring them, think, make them think about what's going on with that family. Why are they so joyful? The recession is, is bad. Inflation's killing, killing us. I see they just sold their, their, their second car and they're cutting back on groceries. But why are they so joyful every day of the, of the week? And, and that starts ask, ask, they start asking themselves those questions. And uh, that, that's the way I, I, I think would be effective. I mean, that's all how the early Christians uh, uh, were, were able to attract others, not just by being a witness, but also preaching and, and sharing the gospel. But uh, that, that is uh, an effective way, especially in the city. I, I think that would be great grounds for growth. Of course, there's the drawbacks of possibly your child getting attracted to the darker side while in while amongst certain kind of friends or strangers so you have that but if you raise your children right the, the odds of that decrease i'm not saying it's 100 percent proof but there it's I a good know. conversation to have. i don't know i think i think a lot of this because i i know so many people like many of my peers that I, that went to catholic school we went to high school together saint thomas high school many people i went to middle school with uh, saint helens in Pearland, Texas, you know, we, we go to these, these schools and I think about how many of my friends are still practicing Catholics. And it's very, very few. And many of them, if not most of them, had really good Catholic parents. And somehow the world got to them and they, they leave and they, they go astray. I can count on, on my hands how many are still really good, faithful Catholics. And I think it's kind of concerning. It's very heartbreaking. And so maybe there's an answer. Maybe I, I maybe I, I cannot, I have to encourage people to say, just, you know, leave the major cities, leave the major cities. If you can get out and get outside homeschool, homeschool, your kids, start a family business, uh, be with your family, uh, find a traditional parish that, that teaches the faith whole and entire unapologetically this is has to be what we have to do. We have to build societies and and build around the churches. Find a good Catholic community and build a community around those churches, and then you you start spreading from there. You start growing from there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, Tito's right. Maybe maybe someone else is right. I'd be curious of your thoughts. So join us in the after show at thirty past the hour. Uh, but for right now. We're going to go into our game show, Fear and Trembling. That number, 877-757-9424, is the number to call to be part of the game show, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back with Fear and Trembling Game Show right after this break. Catholic Radio played a huge part in my life in helping me understand the faith. It was like one of the biggest things, and I still listen all the time. I have the bumper sticker on my viola case. People see it and they're like, oh, Catholic Radio. It's the best thing ever. It changed my life. Catholic Radio is amazing. Please support Catholic Radio. It's just an amazing resource. So much you can learn there. So much inspiration to actually live out your faith. It's just incredible. I love Catholic Radio. The Guadalupe Radio Network. 
Radio for your soul. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who are the ten most well-known preachers in America? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's the list. Copeland, Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, Robert Jeffers, Rick Warren, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. Well, secondly, all these pastors say the same thing on Sunday morning, which is, turn with me in your Bible. Well, then how's the harmony regarding, say, eternal security? Disagreement. Present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, disagreement. Relationship of baptism to salvation, disagreement. Church government, disagreement. Life beginning at conception until natural death, disagreement. And eschatology, disagreement. So what's going on here? Well, if you are someone who says, all I need is the Word of God, brother, because the Bible is going to give me everything I need to live out the Jesus life, okay, hope you've already ditched your favorite blogger, your favorite preacher, your favorite podcaster, and most of all, your religious Google searches. Well, speaking of Google searches, I do request one last Google search for for you, Magisterium. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at CatholicsComeHome.org. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424 That's the number to call to be part of our game show Fear and Trembling where we give out prizes and you could win. How do you do so? Well, you pick up your phone and you dial 877-757-9424 When you do so, you're going to be a contestant on the game show Fear and Trembling. We always take the first caller, and right now the phone lines are completely open. So the next person to dial 877-757-9424 will, in fact, be the contestant on today's show. Now, how do we play the game? What are we talking about here? It's very simple. You're listening to the Fear and Trembling game show where we give out prizes. And the way to win the prize is I have here three Catholic trivia questions. I'm going to ask these questions not to you, but I'm going to ask them to Tito. And Tito's going to give me an answer. And it's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. You'll have 15 seconds to give me an answer. And even if you don't know anything about the question, if you just guess, there's a 50-50 chance of you getting the question correct. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Tito, what could they win? Thank you, Adrian. They could win the Fear and Trembling Prize for this week is a book from Catholic Answers called Behold Your Mother by Tim Staples. In Behold Your Mother, Tim Staples takes you through the church's teachings about the Blessed Virgin Mary, showing their firm scriptural and historical roots, and dismantling the objections of those who mistakenly believe that Mary competes for the attention due Christ alone. Available now from Catholic Answers. Thank you very much to Catholic Answers Press for generously donating this book for us. 
the Behold Your Mother, Tim Staples, excellent book. Now that number, if you want to get in an opportunity to win that prize, 877-757-9424, I'm looking over on my left, and there are no callers on the line still. So that means the person who picks up the phone next and dials out to us will, in fact, be the contestant and have a chance to win the prize. That number, 877-757-9424. And if you need to write that number down and put it in your speed dial, you're welcome to do so by going to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. And all of the information about the game show is listed there on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. And I'm looking over on my left, and uh, the phone line just lit up. So if you do not get on today, well, please call in tomorrow. You're welcome to do so. And if you want to be the first caller, just call in early, and you'll be able to get on the line. But we have uh, a ton of people call in there at the last second, and so we always take the first caller. So make sure you write that number down, and you'll be able to join us tomorrow. But joining us right now is Patricia. Good morning to you, Patricia. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing I'm doing great, actually. I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. If grace was money, I'd be a millionaire. Wouldn't we all? I Amen. Mean, oh. Amen. Uh, Patricia, where are you calling from? Pensacola, Florida. Pensacola, Florida. Praise be to God. It's very rare we get a Florida caller. So wait, how's the weather in Florida? Right now it's cloudy. It was pouring rain yesterday, but we love the rain, too. That's good. I hear I hear the rain makes the the waves nice and uh, nice and uh, big, so that way you can go surf. Did you surf? At eighty two, no. <laughs> Have you? Did you used to surf? No, I didn't. Okay, okay. I I would love to learn how to surf. I have I've never. I don't think I've ever been on a surfboard before, but uh, it seems like a a cool thing to do. I'm sure Tito surfed before. Have you surfed, Tito? Uh, no, uh, boog- uh, bodyboard and oh, okay. boogie board. I, I never uh, advanced that. Not everybody does, but uh, yeah, I, I have to admit, I was I'm pretty scared. There, yeah, well, <laughs> those waves are huge. If man. anyone wants to hit me up and let me uh, give me uh, surfing lessons, I'll come and take you up on that offer. Uh, but thank you very much for calling, Patricia. Where are you calling from? Uh, where are you on to? You're on Pensacola. Where are you off to this morning? I'm off to Mass. Off to Mass, praise be to God. Uh, make sure you uh, offer up a little prayer for us here at the CDT team while you're there. We'd very much appreciate it. Certainly. Absolutely. So are you familiar with the game? Are you ready to play? Oh, yes, I am. Amen, I'm amen. familiar with it. Thank you. Perfect, perfect. So you're a veteran. That means you know how to figure out who is uh, whether or not Tito is being tricky. So let's jump into question number one, Tito. Question number one. Did the rise of monasticism take place during the medieval era or the Renaissance era? Well, I knew it, it was immediately. Uh, so, and I know the Renaissance happened after the medieval era, so I'm going to go with the medieval era. You're going to go with the medieval era? Yeah. yeah. What was evil about it? Uh, there, there are still pagans around, so we still had a lot of proselytizing to do. No. It wasn't The medieval doesn't even have the word evil in it. Yeah, I we know. just kind of pronounce it that way. All right, Patricia. 
15 seconds on the clock. Did the rise of monasticism take place during the medieval era or the Renaissance era? Tito says it was the medieval era. What say you, Patricia? 15 seconds on the clock. I agree. She agrees. Way to go, Patricia. You nailed it. I love the medieval era. That's my favorite time. The uh, Dominican order was founded during that time, the 1200s. So was the Franciscan order. So was the modern-day Carmelites, all in the 1200s. That was a great time. I mean, if I had to be alive in the past, besides the 19th century, that would be the era to be in. Imagine hearing the preaching of St. Dominic. My Man, goodness. that would have been awesome. Oof. That would have been great. All righty, Patricia, way to go. You're one for one. That's a 100% success rate so far. Are you ready for question number two? Sure am. Sure am. Let's do it. Let's do it. Question number two. What right. does... So this is, a, this is a translation question. So I hope you're ready. Uh-oh. We're going to translate this to this language. Oh. Uh, maybe you might recognize it. I don't know. We'll find out. Curious. What does pater noster mean? Ah, thank you. Oh, I thought I was going to see some coin Greek at me. Uh, pater noster, uh, father, our, our father, our father in Latin. It's, yeah, adjective after noun. All righty, Patricia. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what does pater noster mean? Where Tito seems to think it's our father. What say you, Patricia? Is he right or is he wrong? 15 seconds on the clock. That would be correct. That would be correct. correct. Nailed it. Two for two. Do you speak Latin, Patricia? Are you you secretly a Latinist? Not quite. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. Uh, so she just she just knew. You just you pray the pater noster in, at church or something. Is there something like that going yes. on? There we go. There we go. Well, there we go. Uh, Patricia, are you ready for question number three? I'm ready. All right. I got to tell you, I'm looking at this question here, and I got to admit, this question could be tricky. It could be tricky, so keep your ears tuned. All righty, Tito. Question number three. All right. What is the first mass celebrated on Christmas? First mass. Uh, first mass? Christ mass? The mass of Christ? Christmas mass. I'll go with s- Christmas mass. You're going to say the first mass celebrated on Christmas is called Christmas mass. Yes. Seems little on the nose, but okay. Seems little on the nose. So, All right, Patricia. Logical. This uh, this question could be tricky. Could be tricky. The question is, what is the first mass celebrated on Christmas where Tito seems to think it's Christmas mass, which would be Christ mass mass? And what say you, Patricia? 15 seconds on the clock. That sounds pretty good, like the midnight mass. Oh, so you're going to say it's Midnight Mass. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go, uh, Tito. That is correct. And you get... Wow, she I, didn't even say true or false. I she know, just went straight I to know. the jugular. Yeah, the correct answer is... And so Tito was wrong. It's not called Christmas Mass. Nope. But Patricia is correct. It is, in fact, called Midnight Mass. I didn't even need to give you the answer. She gave it to me. Uh, way to go, Patricia. Are you secretly a theologian? Yes. You're a Tom, liturgical Thomas. scholar? Is this is this true, Patricia? I was in the convent for thirteen years. So wow! That Whoa! Thirteen years in the convent—that's amazing. And then God wanted me out. Here. 
Well, praise be to God. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you uh, spent so much time in the convent. That's uh, a, a beautiful place to be. And my, my dear friend and mentor, Sister Teresa Marie, as having her uh, silver jubilee year coming up on uh, July 1st, I believe it is. And uh, I'm very excited. She just invited me to that. So that's 25 years. I think that's, that's pretty amazing. That's impressive. Well, thank you for uh, for at least uh, spending some time in the convent, and I think that's a wonderful blessing. Yes, it was. Amen, amen. All righty, Patricia, make sure you stay on the line. We're going to put you on hold, and we're going to get your contact information, so that way we can uh, make sure we send you the prize should we draw your name out on Friday. Uh, but thank you very much for calling in, and God bless you, and God bless uh, you for attending Holy Mass this morning. And, and we always love having Pensacola caller. That's pretty awesome. But God bless you, Patricia. Thank you. All right. I'm going to put you on hold. And that's going to do it for the radio side. It's about 30 past the hour. And we are going to go into our after show where we're going to let our hair down a little bit and interact with you directly. And the question of the day is, what's the strategy for us Catholics? Do we retreat? Do we just set up shop in the major cities? Is there a kind of a middle way? What's the solution to our predicament in the culture? We're going to talk about this directly with you in the after show. I want to get your thoughts. So leave a comment down below. If you're listening on the radio, then you can hop on our social media. Go to YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey. We'll be checking the comments on all those places. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear what you think the proper strategy is or what your experience is. But if not, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network. God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you soon. And remember, Christ is risen. Alleluia. Alleluia. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. The Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi. Today we celebrate Wednesday of the seventh week of Easter. We offer this Holy Sacrifice of the Mass for all those listening at Guadalupe Radio Network and all of our online viewers. Come, Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and in our hearts take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made, to fill the hearts which thou hast made. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
Let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. Graciously grant your church, O merciful God, that gathered by the Holy Spirit, she may be devoted to you with all her heart and united in purity of intent. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. At Miletus, Paul spoke to the presbyters of the church of Ephesus. Keep watch over yourselves and over the whole flock, of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers in which you tend the church of God, that he acquired in his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, and they will not spare the flock. And from your own group, men will come forward perverting the truth, to, to draw the disciples away after them. So be vigilant and remember that for three years, night and day, I unceasingly admonished each of you with tears, and now I commend you to God into that gracious word of his chant can build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are consecrated. I have never wanted any one silver or gold or clothing, and now well that these very hands have served my needs and my companions. In every way I have shown you that my hand my hard work of that sort we must help the weak and keep the mind the words of the Lord Jesus, who himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Then, then he had finished speaking. He knelt down and prayed with them all. They were all weeping loudly as they threw their arms around Paul and kissed him, for they were deeply distressed that he had said they, they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. The word of the Lord. Responsorial Psalm. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Show, show forth, O God, your power, the power of God with which you take our part. For your temple in Jerusalem, let the kings bring his, you gifts. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. You kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Chant praise to the Lord who rides on the heights of the ancient heavens. Behold his voice, resound the voice of power. Confess the power of God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. 
Over Israel is his majesty. His power is in the skies. Awesome in his sanctuary is God, the God of Israel. He gives power and strength to his people. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Your word, O Lord, is true. Consecrate us in the truth. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. <laughs> lifting, up, <clears throat> lifting up his eyes to heaven, Jesus prayed, saying, Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one, just as we are one. When I was with them, I protected them in your name that you gave me, and I guarded them, and none of them was lost except the son of destruction, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. I speak this in the world, so that they may share my joy completely. I gave them your word, and the world hated them, because they do not belong to the world, any more than I belong to the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. Consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world, and I consecrate myself for them, so that they also may be consecrated in truth. The Gospel of the Lord. We continue our journey through Ascension Tide, the time after Jesus ascended and the time in which the Holy Spirit in the upper room is caught up in praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the liturgy is a great instruction on the operation of the Holy Spirit. And today we hear about the spirit of consecration, the gift of consecration. What does that mean? Consecration is, comes from the love of the Most Holy Trinity of setting aside for a holy purpose. Jesus is the consecrated one, and he offers to share his consecration, his singleness, his set-apartedness to be set apart for a holy purpose. To understand this, in the liturgy we have the chalice. The chalice is set aside for the purpose solely of confecting the blood of Christ. It is not used for Coca-Cola or uh, milk or any other common wine. It is used for only and the only purpose of confecting the Eucharist. To use it for any other purpose would be to desacralize it. And this is the, the way that we understand, we can understand being consecrated, being set aside for a holy purpose. It is the singular love of the Father that chooses us 
for consecration, for sharing in this consecration. There's just different ways that Jesus gives us by sharing. The first way is by choosing us in baptism. The whole holy people of God, the church, is the consecrated people. They're the priestly people that are set aside for the worship of God. And then there's another sharing in the consecration of Christ, of, of having the, the vocation of being a consecrated person, of being set aside as a donum redemptionis, a gift of redemption, that a soul, a person's soul, can be set aside for, for the sole purpose of asking and begging and pleading and praying and loving for that, that souls might be saved. And as a gift of Jesus, a kind of bouquet of flowers for Jesus. And the way this can be understood is the brilliant theology of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who had in four words, simple words, she can speak about consecration, only Jesus, always Jesus. To have a virginal, singular, consecrated gaze of Jesus, that he would be the only, only one to be focused on and that a consecrated soul would live out their life. And they do this through the, the words of consecration and they get the prayer of the Holy Spirit of the church. And then there's also another vocation of uh, priesthood that has a priestly consecration that others might be consecrated to be at the service of the consecrated people of God as a priest. And you can see this in St. Paul and St. John, the author of this gospel, the human author, along with the Holy Spirit of this gospel, explains the gift of consecration, and St. Paul, the one who carries it out. How to answer this call is most especially with the prayers of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and not, not only prayers, but to be consecrated to Jesus through Mary. Mary has a certain singular virginal consecration in the Holy Spirit as his spouse, like no other, because only through her consecration in the Holy Spirit, was the God-man conceived. And so she has this particular way of helping us answer this call to consecration. And, and if you discover this, is a very beautiful spirit of approaching Jesus with the spirit of Mary, with the eyes of Mary, with her virginal gaze, her virginal intention. And St. Louis de Montfort probably wrote the best about this. And following his 33 days of preparation is a wonderful thing. And if you haven't done this, please, please, I beg you in the name of Jesus, prepare, look this over to, to see if God is calling you to be consecrated to Jesus through Mary, because it's a radical way of living the consecration of your baptism. And also there's different saints that help us answer this call of consecration, like St. Therese of Lisieux, to consecrate every act in love to do everything in love. Saint uh, Maximilian Kolbe, who even to, even to your last dying breath, that you would be radically configured to, to Jesus in a, in a way of living consecration, even unto martyrdom, to, to totally giving your whole heart, mind, and soul over to it. And then especially, uh, especially answering that call in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is where we ratify every time we receive him, we ratify that consecration. So some things to pray about in this time of Ascension Tide as we are pleading for the Holy Spirit, the spirit of consecration, that the whole consecrated people of God, the church of God, might be set aside for a holy purpose. Let us rise and bring our petitions to the Lord.
We pray for the Holy Church of God, that the people may be set aside for holiness. For this we pray to the Lord. We pray for our Holy Father, all bishops and priests, for a gift of the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of courage and a spirit of consecration. For this we pray to the Lord. We pray for our government leaders, that they may not obstruct the gospel. We pray for an end to abortion, same-sex unions, gender confusion, and human trafficking. We pray to the Lord. And we pray for all of the sick, the suffering, the poor, those who are lost, the rejected, the forsaken, that we may have a spirit of salvation. For this we pray to the Lord. We pray for all of our beloved dead that they may enter the Father's eternal glory. We pray to the Lord. Eternal and blessed Father, we ask you to hear us. For we make these prayers in the holy name of Jesus Christ and through the powerful intercession of our Mother Mary as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Rejoice, angelic choirs, rejoice, rejoice now, all creation. Let trumpets loudly raise their voice to hail the Lord's salvation. Let all Christ's holy people sing the triumph of their mighty King in festal celebration. O earth exalt in radiance bright, illumined by Christ's splendor. Your darkness now is put to flight, to him do praise his render. Be glad, O church, sing out your songs, your temples fill with shouting throngs to hail the glorious victor. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Accept, O Lord, we pray, the sacrifices instituted by your commands, and though the sacred mysteries which we celebrate as our dutiful service, graciously complete the sanctifying work by which you are pleased to redeem us, through Christ our Lord. O Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For after his resurrection he plainly appeared to all his disciples and was taken up to heaven in their sight that he might make us sharers in his divinity. 
Therefore, overcome with paschal joy, every land, every people exalts in your praise. And even the heavenly powers with the angelic hosts sing together the unending hymn of your glory as they acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abaho, Blanisun Celia Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through the, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy, and you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. A mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. 
be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth with your servant, Francis our Pope, Michael our Bishop, the Order of Bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you have summoned before you in your compassion, O merciful Father. Gather to your yourself all your children scattered throughout the world, to our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life. Give kind admittance to your kingdom, there we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory, through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Grow him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Proceptis salutaribus moniti, at divin institutioni formati, audehemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et demiten nobis demita nostra, sicut et nos demitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. On your stay, we toli specatum mundi, miserere nobis. On your stay, we toli specatum mundi, miserere nobis. Anus Dei, quitolis peccatam undi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Communion Antiphon When the Paraclete comes, whom I will send you, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me, and you also will bear witness, says the Lord. Alleluia.
active spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Adoro te devote, latens deitas, que subis figuris vere latitas, tibi secor meum totum subjicit, Qui a te contemplans totum deficit. Visus tactus gustus in te falitur. Sed auditus solo tuto creditur. Credo quid quid ixit Dei filius, Nil hoc verbo veritatis verius. In cruce la tebat sola deitas, Adiclatet simulet humanitas. Ambo tamen credens atque confitens, Peto quod petihivit latro penitens. Plagasicutomas non in tueo, Deum tamen meum te confiteo. Ac me tibi semper magis credere, In te spem habere de diligere. Let us pray. May our partaking of this divine sacrament, O Lord, constantly increase your grace within us, and by cleansing us with its power, make us always ready to receive so great a gift through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. 
from every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord, from every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord, from every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord, from every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Von Greta from the University of St. Thomas, Houston.